to the punks in pubs podcast my name is liam bird and i hope you are all well i look out the window of the attic whereabouts i record this and it is gray and miserable as shit uh which i'm hoping that would change because usually i know that summer is coming and it's usually quite sunny at this time because slam dunk festival is only a few days away and punks in pubs will be there interviewing acts that are on that bill we can't name the band yet but hopefully uh, we'll get some great names who will give up their time to talk to myself and for you to listen to but bands on the bill are no effects bad religion the bronx the menzingers glassjaw and newfound glory just to name a few there's still tickets available i think they're going for around the 50 to 60 pounds mark which when you see the full lineup that's pretty decent price so come hang out and go grab a ticket by going to slamdunkfestival.com or click the link in the bio for this episode on your phone right Let's talk about episode 38 of Punks in Pubs with myself and Joe King, a.k.a. Joe Queer, the ringmaster of the queers. I've been sitting on this interview for about a year now, and let me explain why. In this interview, uh, Joe says some shit that I don't personally agree with, and I didn't push back on his beliefs in the interview, and I just kind of let them slide. I was thinking about this, that if I met Joe at a party, I think I would have voiced my beliefs. But because this is an interview where I asked Joe to give up his time to talk to me, I didn't really feel like it was my place to push back on his political beliefs. That might have been right or that might have been wrong. I'm still debating how I should have probably handled this interview and and I'll definitely learn from it so I spoke with a few friends and I thought fuck it it's an interesting interview with some great stories and you might listen to the interview and think what the fuck you talking about Liam I don't hear anything controversial or you might hear it and you go actually yeah Liam you probably should have pushed back this is quite offensive but I've decided that you should be the ones to make up that decision not me So now I've bigged it up. (laughs) So what do we talk about? Well, as you could probably guess, we talk about politics. And I asked Joe about the comments that he made after the Ferguson shooting. If you don't know about the Ferguson shooting, it was when a a black man was murdered by a cop. That's my personal beliefs. They are not the opinion of Joe. Joe believes that the cop was just doing his job. I brought it up because I was interested in how Joe dealt with the backlash that came from his comments. (sighs) Anyway... Like I said, it's not all controversial. Uh, We talk about Joe's old calf, Joe's place, and his love for cooking. I asked Joe what it was like to be on Lookout Records when bands like Green Day and Rancid were on the roster. And from that conversation, we talk about the fall of uh, Lookout Records and Joe losing contact with the uh, bosses of Lookout, Molly Newman and Chris Appleton. On the subject of labels, Joe declares his love for his new label, uh, Asian Man Records. As you might have guessed, Joe is not afraid to speak his mind 
And he does just that on subject matters like the Warp Tour, CBGBs and bands like Good Charlotte and Rise Against. Basically, them not being his cup of tea, and I'm paraphrasing there. And finally, we finish with Joe retelling his best Ramon story. As always, your band play out the show, and this week it's a band from the Harbour, Orange County, California, and they are called 390 or 390 or 390. It's kind of like that Blink 182, Blink 182 kind of how do you pronounce their name? I'm going to call them 390. Uh, so stick around for that. That's then. This is now. People are punk. I give to you the never dull Joe King, aka Joe Queer. I will talk to you in a bit. I wasn't looking for trouble, but again looking for me. I may not have any muscles, but I can move like this way. So when a bunch of these pussies started eating up on my plans, I left the stage and I ain't too late. So I am sat next to a man who is the ringmaster of the band The Dwarfs. The Dwarfs. Fucking, that was last week. Did that was, that's right. That was last week. Last yeah, week, chats in last week. Uh, the Queers. My we actually bad. were with he who could not be named this morning. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, he's we playing were. Rebellion, isn't he? Yeah, he's sneaking around. He's skulking around the country. <laughs> Lock up your daughters. But cheeks hanging out be careful just want to warn you UK uh, and also he's a man who has been writing an autobiography for how many years now you talking to me yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're the guy I'm interviewing I so. haven't like really worked on it but I've you know yeah I I've got read, about half written I've read I, like every single interview everyone talks to you and asks you about your autobiography and you're, see, always, you're always like I'm sitting down I was even working on something they're like whatever and they don't realize how how hard it is you know <laughs> how tough I work how hard my life is at home. Tending my chickens, tomato plants. You got a little farm? No, but <laughs> Just I, running I around pretend the house. I do. Yeah. I had four chickens to the possum, fucking killed them. So it's hell out there now. <laughs> it's hard times for the chickens. Oh, I've got a studio at home. I stay busy doing that shit. Yeah. What about podcasts? Are you a big podcast guy? Not not really into them? Like a what? A podcast. What we're doing Podcast. right now. Yeah. Oh, I don't pay attention to that stuff too much. No. Nah. Why not? Well, is it just something you just don't embrace? I find it kind of boring to listen to, you know, me talk on them or or other people. There's not too many people I like to listen to. Yeah, maybe CJ Ramon or Richie or... There's just not many people I want, care what they say about life. Yeah. You know, quite frankly, I don't know. I'd rather read a book, you know. Well, I hope people listening to this aren't like turning off now and going, well, fuck this. <laughs> I've got better things to do. So yeah. let's try and keep them here. What about yeah. interviews? Are you like jaded at interviews? Because you must have done hundreds and thousands of interviews. Like, do you find it like a monotonous, like sort of thing that you know you have to do no. to promote the band? Or do you actually kind of get into it and like say it's like a battle of minds and really enjoy them i don't i don't i really don't mind them we don't do as many as we used to so now uh we haven't been to the uk in five years so we've yeah. been asked to do a few more but i don't mind doing them i know that i i have a few friends that you know do podcasts and stuff like that and they tell me about the other bands 
all these West Coast bands act like they're, you know, doing them a favor to talk. Like, you know, they're, oh, it's just like climbing Mount Everest. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess I can sit here and talk about myself for 15 minutes, you know. It's just like, yeah. whatever, dude. I don't, you know, I think it's kind of uh, an honor that people want to talk to you, really. Yeah. So, but... The other thing is, I don't know. Punk rock really taught me that I was equal to everybody else. And so, I don't know. I, to me, when I would read interviews or hear interviews, I would want to see what little tidbits about life people learn, like Bob Dylan or Keith Richards or Lou Reed or David Bowie or whoever I grew up with, you yeah. know. And so, a lot of the punk rock stuff, I don't know. I, I'm not interested in what. Wadi from the exploit. I mean, I wish him well. I don't know. I hear he's a good guy. I don't give a fuck about him or, you know what I mean? I don't care what they say about life any more than he yeah. cares what I say about life, you know? So when you were playing shows then, did you never just sit down with like one of the support guys, just have a beer and just just chat about the scene? Or yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like to, when I meet fans, I actually, one of the things I like doing is uh, I always ask people what they do for work. Okay. Yeah. They're usually taken aback because they're like asking about some bullshit. I'm like, hey, what, what do you do for work? And I was like, oh, well, and it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Cops, doctors, um, you name it. You know, you never know. But to me, that's interesting. I'd rather like talk to them. What's your life like, man? Yeah. So what, what's the most like obscure job you've heard then when you, when you spoke about that? Oh, so, you name it. Everybody's just <laughs> uh, all sorts of jobs. Usually I think... If it's some kids, we'll meet a lot of kids that are fucked up, say, and you try to steer them sort of. The only time I ever try to throw my weight around is try to steer them in the right direction. Yeah. Like there was this one kid we used to see, some kid who, like these dipshits back in the States, they want to act like they're English and Irish and, you know, he had some stupid name like Buzzard or Ian or something and drank Guinness, but he was a real drunk regardless. Or a kill, you know the type. They're always in trouble getting thrown out of shows. But that kid, I saw him for a few years. And I kept talking to him. I go, dude, you can straighten out, man. You can straighten out. And the last time I saw him, he had been sober over four years. He's like, Joe, it's Buzzard. I go, Jesus, dude. He goes, I fucking finally got it. I went to rehab and I sobered up. Oh, nice. So, you know, that's 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 nice. Yeah, That yeah, type yeah. of stuff. So, uh so yeah. what point in your career did you actually realize, you know what, I actually kind of talk, like talking to the crowd? Because, like, was there any period where actually you were like, I just don't, I just want to get out? Or, like, is it just my job? Like, leave me alone. Or is it something that's kind of, you, you've grown into as you got older? You're like, no, I want to talk to everyone now. I want to hang out. Or you, oh, you've always been one of those guys who just hang yeah, out. Yeah, I don't care. Show. Yeah, yeah I, 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 like I say, I think it's an honor. I don't think it's, I, I, I work construction. I worked in a fishing boat for years and, commercial fishing and owned my own restaurant i'm, I'm a worker man yeah I, i'm not like a lazy motherfucker and uh, like our bass player cheeto lazy as hell <laughs> and uh bring him out on tour he gains fucking gains 15 20 pounds a tour we're actually gonna start <laughs> next time on the on the tour from now on we're gonna weigh him the beginning of the tour at the first gig we're gonna weigh him and then for every pound he gains on the tour at the end of the tour we're gonna weigh him again he's gonna pay a hundred dollar fine <laughs> yeah but I'm a worker so I yeah doing this interviews and all that stuff I don't I, I don't mind talking to people at all yeah I always I always enjoyed it when we started we got our first royalty check from Lookout for Love Songs for the Retarded I think it was four thousand bucks and I had been working about 90 hours a week at my restaurant owning it and we take $150 a week out. 
and uh, so it was like winning the lottery. So yeah, uh, I appreciated it. It's what I wanted to do: play music in my life. So I, I was like, oh, sure. You want to talk to me? I, I get a kick out of it. I like talking to people. I think that's how you learn about life. I yeah. used to think you'd have to be Bob Dylan's like guitar tech or something. And, you know, listen to little tidbits of wisdom he would give you. But I realized there's a lot to be learned about life. Just living it like this, because we're not like rock stars. We carry our own gear and, and sleep on floors still, I mean, we've got it pretty cushy, admittedly. We don't sleep on too many floors anymore. But you rub elbows with the proletariat like we went to his house and had Sunday dinner with his parents and that sort of thing. And that shit rocks. You know, Bob Dylan never fucking does. Yeah. Or certainly, you know, they get their asses kissed everywhere. So we kind of learn a little bit about life more. We're more down and and just meeting people like you. And so I like it. Uh, But... I think I see some of these people that are on that play in bands. I won't name them, but they, you know, they might have one or two good songs and they act like they got the cure for cancer and they're real important because they sold some albums to some jocks on the warp tour. You know, I'm like, dude, if you're going to be a bigger asshole, I mean, we know a few people we're talking about recently too. And I remember them 20 years ago and they were fucking great people. And now they've had a little success and they're fucking total dicks. Yeah. And you're like, dude, you were a nicer guy back then. So if you don't learn anything from the voyage, getting to do a job, even at our little level here, if you don't get to learn by it and become a better person, I think, by the voyage, through the bumps and bruises and trials and tribulations and slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, then you might as well go manage a Taco Bell is my, <laughs> you know, my attitude. Seriously. Have you but ever- we see guys like that. They're assholes. I, oh, dude, 20 years ago, that guy was a great guy. Now he's a fucking prick. But it's like, oh, dude, man, you just whatever. So. And, and when when you see like bands who are who are on the rise, who may have that chip in their shoulder, as like an elder statesman, do you like go up to them and give them a bit of a slap down and go, "What the fuck are you doing, man? Just just relax, enjoy it." I don't waste time. Say <laughs> shit publicly. I don't even anymore because people just bully you and twist your words and try to pick on you. But you know, and I get to with Ben Weasel or something. We'll we'll yeah. oh yeah. Take the piss out of someone, of course, like they say over here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I Have mean, a we're bitch like, sex. whatever, dude. Fucking yeah. shut up. We don't <laughs> care. You've fucking, if you're in fucking some shitty fucking band thinking you're fucking important, like Rise Against or some bullshit, you know, whatever, guys. Oh, cool. Like you got something to fucking say. Seriously. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to go to that shit. You know, what are they, what message those fuckers got? Political. Yeah, right. It's the fucking... Political is a shtick now. Any bands that's political, it's yeah. a shtick. Well, I mean, you've recently got a lot of shit for talking your mind about what happened in Ferguson. And oh, yeah. You, you've, you've that had, was a good one. When, whenever you Google your name now, that is the first thing that comes up. And you, you spoke about all the shit that you got. I mean, how did you deal with that? Did that, that end up coming to your shows? One day I got mad at that. I got sucked into this whole thing. And then I, I just like said I don't care anymore I realized number one it's not fans of the band because ever since then we've never been busy as hell we've never been as busy we have been busy as hell since that whole Ferguson thing started but it's not people that are into the band and I realized everything has swung so far to the left I mean I consider I'm so far to the left I'm off the cliff and these people are like so far off the cliff to the left they're like right wing they're like nuts calling me a Nazi I mean we used to get attacked for being named the queers Hmm. You know, by real Nazis. And these assholes are on their little keyboards calling me a Nazi. It's like, oh, dude, 
Go fuck yourself. We were so fucking, we were always screaming. When Real Big Fish opened up for us at that show with the Muffs, they showed up down there at Huntington Beach. There was a bunch of skinheads causing trouble there. And, and everyone was like scared of them. It was a pretty big show. And I got up there. I was like, if one of you skinheads say one Nazi motherfucker say one word, let's fucking all jump on it. You know, they skulked out. We were, we hated that shit. Yeah. Hated it. And now it's like, oh, I'm a Nazi. I'm like, whatever, dude. <laughs> I don't care. We we had these alleged transgenders up in Canada. These these people had never come to our show, but they were boycotting the show because they said they wouldn't feel safe. And it's like you'd never come to a show, but because they were African American and said they're transgender, the whole media it was all on the radio up there in Canada. It was like unbelievable. Like who are these people? Gone. They never did a thing in their life, but because. They said they're transgender. All of a sudden, the media, the radio stations, the TV stations, everyone was like all over this thing. It was a real big thing up there in Ottawa. It was ridiculous. And I blame the media. It's like in the, the old days, anybody, a real, you know, person who wanted to get to the bottom of the thing would say, well, have you been to the show? Well, no, we haven't been to one of their shows. So, right. <laughs> so why, why don't you go to a show? And then if you don't feel safe, or you get beat up. Why don't you get back with us? The level of discourse in the world today. Look at how rude people talk on TV compared to where I when I grew up. Look at how rude movies are. Look at fucking billboards we see at fucking rest areas and shit. Right next to I mean, and these people act like they're Puritans that are over going on the Mayflower and have just landed over in the United States. It's like laughable. Hmm. Like, oh yeah, you're like you're fucking you're you're offended by something. Who's offended? They act like it's 1948 again or something. It's bullshit. It's complete bullshit. But these people found they have power by bullying everybody and ganging up. And that's what they did with us. But I, uh, you know, a lot of the old punk bands got their their point across through humor. You know, we're musicians. We're not, we don't care what your fucking skin color is. Give me a fucking break. But they want to, these guys want to twist and turn and pound that round peg into the square hole and all of a sudden gotcha you're racist whatever I stopped worrying about it I don't give a fuck I could not I know who I am and I don't give a fuck what people said about me so you know I know who I am Britain. Didn't you guys put out an album, one of your first albums, from a British label? They distributed your album. I've got it down here. Uh, our first album, Grow Up? Shaken Street Records. Yeah, 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 Grow Up. So, yeah, so there was a small ba- a small, small distribution in the UK, and yeah. then they put out your album, then folded. Like, was that a quick life lesson that you learned as, like, as you were putting out your music quite early? What, the label folded, you mean? Yeah, supposing the label folded in the UK, and then you guys lost out on a lot of money because you had... Like, oh, I don't know if they made any money. I don't think Pilly made much money off it. No. no. I think he only pressed up 500 Yeah. Okay. I, I Yeah, because I have never seen too many. He did a few vinyl. We did ended up putting it out on a lookout, made money. Yeah. But... 
I was a little upset with Pilly because I left my guitar with him and he never sent it back to me when I said I would pay for the shipping. So I was like <laughs> kind of pissed off and he still has it to this day. But the thing is, um, you kind of got to let that stuff go. The older you get, the hatred, you, you can't keep it inside. Even though you're wrong, you just got to let it go and and go, you know what, I can't let that run my day. Fuck it. So uh, it sucks, but yeah. yeah, it is a life lesson. I was surprised more people, people I considered friends have ripped me off money-wise, ripped us off. So that's uh, kind of disheartening. Uh, it sucks when they rip you off and then they turn around and say you're an asshole to boot. But, you know, what are you going to do? Before your music life, you kind of spoke about actually you used to own a cafe. Was it called Joe's Place? Is that what it's called? That's right. If someone did walk into Joe's Place, what, was the, what would be the thing that you would go, hey, get this, it's fucking amazing? Like, did you have specials? Like, what kind, oh, of, yeah. what kind of place was it? It was a little uh, cafe, cafe bar, yep. We uh, sat 46 people upstairs, then downstairs it overlooked the river in Exeter, New Hampshire, and we sat 50 down there in the bar. And um, uh, we did a lot of burgers, you know, nachos and, and that sort of shit, chicken wings, stuff Cheetah would eat. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. it was bar, a bar thing. We had a blues yeah. bar. And uh, then upstairs, I, I did a lot of grilled seafood, and I did a pretty nice menu, Italian food and stuff, but it was mainly a lot of bar food because yeah. we had the bar. So, uh, I mean, it was all honest stuff. A lot. One of the biggest things we had there, I would cook roast turkey from scratch. I'd take raw turkey breast, and then I would parboil it for about three hours, and I would cook it in the oven like at 250 for three hours. It was really tender. And people would just beat down my door to come in year-round and they could get a good turkey club sandwich. And they loved it. They loved it. Or the corned beef sandwich like Ruben's, like he's had. I cook at my house now. I'll make it for him. Yeah, from scratch. He cooked the corned beef for about eight hours. I worked in a deli in New York, so I learned that shit, how to cook it. But anyway, that type of stuff. Cut the French fries. Everything was was done from hand. Real burgers and... um, so people like that sort of thing. Do you yeah. still go in the kitchen? Do you still enjoy it? Yeah, I like cooking, yeah, yeah. but I, I don't. You know, I haven't. I, I was going to open a restaurant up again. I don't know. I don't think I will. No. So We got in there at Joe's place, and the problem was the bar made a lot of money, but I like cooking, but I didn't like running the bar. <laughs> so I was in there on a Saturday, and anyway, there was a brawl downstairs. Right when the Saturday night dinner rush had started, it was during the summer, too. And I ran downstairs with like a rolling pin or a frying pan. And Sean, the bartender, was downstairs and he was fighting these guys. And I jumped in there and a gun fell out of the guy's, a revolver, 38 Snubby, fell out of the guy's pocket on the floor. He didn't shoot it or anything. But at that moment, I said, oh, fucking fuck this. I, at that <laughs> moment, I was just like, I'm done with this. I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Then we got signed. Larry Livermore called us from Lookout and we got signed. And we did one tour. No, we toured with Screeching Weasel and then with Rancid. And then I said to my dad, I said, Dad, I think I want to play music. So, uh, you know, we got a royalty check for 4200 bucks or something. I go, fuck. I, I didn't make that on in the restaurant for a year. Yeah. You know, it was an education, though. And I enjoyed it. I like cooking. So, you know, it was fun. It, it was an education. So from that time working within the service industry, do you now, whenever you do go to a restaurant and stuff like that, do you, like, look after the waitress or the waiter? Are you, oh, yeah. you, like... Not shitty like some people can be. Oh, yeah. No, oftentimes they'll hear me. I'll say, oh, I owned a restaurant for five years, man. I'm on your side. So we always leave a good tip. <laughs> so uh, I just said that to the lady, this girl this morning. She asked me, 
She's like, oh, how was your how was your holiday sauce? I had eggs Benedict at this place we stayed. These guys are sleeping, and uh, that's what I'm doing when you're fucking sitting there in bed, Cheeto. Eggs Benedict, Cheeto sleeping. So she said, oh, how's the hollandaise sauce? It was okay. Yeah. I didn't. I said, oh, I owned a restaurant. It was quite good. It kind of sucked, but anyway, I was like, whatever. Did she let the, the, the sauce split? It was, was, I could tell it was made out of a can. No, I was all, oh, no, dude. I would sor- serve, you know, asparagus with Bernays sauce or whatever on, on dinner. I was, I was the whole real deal. I would do a brunch and stuff. I was, you know, I, oh, yeah, I would never, none of that shit out of a can. No way. Well, yeah, I used to brag. I had to have nothing in my freezer except soup and chili that I would make ahead of time. Other than that, no, I wouldn't, you know, I didn't use that. I was like the real deal, man. I, I didn't fucking, I, nothing, I didn't even use frozen French fries or any of that shit. Kind of spoke about in 91, you signed to Luck Out. And at that time, like Green Day, Rancid, Screeching Weedles were, were also on the label. Like, was that a good Christmas party? Or did you never really get to hang out with those guys? We didn't know them that well, really. Green Day ended up going off pretty quick and doing Dookie. And then Weasel was doing My Brain Hurts. And they were doing, they were at the top of their ballgame. So we hung with them. We toured with Rancid. Yeah. And um, so, uh, you know, you're kind of in the middle of it. You didn't notice too much. But I was telling those guys, like, MTX is doing great stuff. The Muffs, Green Day. There was a lot of competition, so it was good in that, you know, we had to we had to like really step up our ball game, yeah, for our albums because that that was our competition. Even smaller bands like Smugglers and High Fives were just amazing, yeah. So it was great. It was great. It was a fun time, but you know, you just you know, looking back, I appreciate it more than then. But whatever, I didn't know how. You think it's going to last forever, but whatever. It was pretty cool, though. Yeah, it's quite quite exciting for me so yeah so what did you do to try and make yourself stand out from those guys then was there any like your, your stage presence like no we we were lame on stage me Hugh and Beefface were horrible for the most part we didn't we needed more experience we got big and it was kind of like the George Burns thing like we did one album love songs and then we didn't really have much for the second album and it's like you know like the old George Burns thing it's like you know by the time we realized we we had no talent we were already famous so you know yeah. we were successful and we're like oh fuck dude so we did love songs for the retarder was quite good and then well, move back home album. and beat off sucked and then don't back down was pretty good and punk rock confidential after that we kind of hit our stride but I had new guys and you know, you just, it's, uh, we need a lot of uh, more experience. People look back with nostalgia at that lineup, but we really, if you look on YouTube, we weren't very good at all. <laughs> we um, just weren't. We just, you know, and, and it's, I mean, it's no big deal. No, knock on us at the time. We were fucked up on drugs, drinking, everything else. And we just learned more now. We've learned a lot more. So you kind of spoke about the drinks and drugs. Are you okay talking about that? You, you. I don't care. Okay, so like 93, you gave up. Was it just like, that's it, I'm done? Or was it a slow transition? What, drugs? A drink and drugs. Because what no. I've read is that... 93? 93 is the, the time. I, no? We were all fucked up, yeah. So what we was the point where about you, you, you went too far and you're like, right, that's it, we're done? Oh, when I got sent off to rehab by my family. Yeah. Or lookout sent us off, yeah. I went to a couple of rehabs, yeah. But it just got... It was just a pain in the ass, but I, I didn't know. You know, we were just having fun. Like, we started out rehearsing at my restaurant was closed on Sunday. So we'd rehearse in the bar there and drink there. And then we went and we started making money and we would tour around. And then every night of the week, we would get a good crowd. 
when I say a good crowd, some places were 75 people. But anyway, we'd always find people to party with year, yeah. all week. So that was a dream come true. So we were now drinking all the time and hung over and then be 200 people on a Tuesday in Mankato, Minnesota. And you're like, fuck, I'm so hung over. So we'd have to find some Coke. And then the next day we drink too much because of the Coke. And then we're like so hung over, we'd have to buy, get some Percocets. And then we got into heroin and it was a mess. You know, it's a real mess. I don't, you know, whatever. It was an education, I'll tell you. But it sucked. It was just a waste of time. Booze and drugs never made anything better. Uh, I didn't. I don't miss it. Never no. made anything better at all. We never played better because of the booze or the drugs. My brother happened to be a heroin addict as well. Yeah. And I always believed that heroin is probably he's better now. But we always joked about it being like the devil's drug. Yeah. In the fact that it can just ruin lives. Yeah. Was there any point where you you were gonna just give up the band and just like because your addiction was so much that you just you just couldn't deal with it. You had no. to kind of withdraw and no. See, our runs would only go so long because everybody would take our money. Lookout wouldn't give us our royalties. And then so our, our runs would only go for about six or nine months. I only had a couple of good runs about maybe maybe a year was the longest, nine months. I, I didn't go for years like a lot of these guys. I never used needles and I never fucking went longer than like maybe nine months, ten months. We wouldn't have money. We'd run out of money. So... Nobody would give us any money, so we were broke. Everything was in the pawn shop a couple of times, and then, then um, no, I wanted to keep playing music. When I would sober up, I was really inspired to play. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't even a uh, uh, a consideration. Yeah, I never thought of it. Yeah. So when Lookout kind of went belly up, um, you end up buying back your your tapes. They just gave us. They you gave know, it to I, you, so it wasn't like a struggle or anything yeah. like that. They owed like... us some money, and so I just said, "Chris, just give us the rights to the thing," and he signed us something, so we just took them. Were, yeah. were you upset when when it did kind of fizzle out because they had they had a good it was base? Too bad, but yeah. you know they kind of blew it and they wanted to go in a different direction. It was too bad. I mean, Molly tried. Larry did his book, How to Ruin a Label. It's kind of shitty. I mean, she Molly got blamed for a lot of shit, and she did make some mistakes, but she didn't maliciously set out to fucking hurt the label or destroy the label. It was just, you know, the way it went. I didn't agree with it, but I knew she thought she was doing the right thing, so uh, it sucked. But I know Larry told me we were pretty privy to a lot of the stuff behind the scenes. Larry said when he left there, they had the Green Day album, they had the Street and Weasel albums, um, Us, MCX. They had quite a, a vibrant label, and they had two million cash. Mm. And from that, they blew it, but I feel worse. I'm sure they feel worse about it than I do. Yeah. You know, they did that, and it sucked. It was a great label. But, um, you know, whatever. I don't know. I, I kind of feel bad for him. But I, I wish uh, Molly had a kid, I think, recently. And Chris, I don't keep in touch. That's what I miss the most, like uh, the friendships. I don't I don't keep up with them um, that much. And, and we're Is that all your a choice, tight though? little family for a while. Is that your choice, though, that you just don't want to? Or you, like, you're just too busy? They've kind of moved on. I mean, I think we all have. It's not deliberate. If I ever hit, if I called Chris right now, we talk for half an hour. It's just everybody's moved on and done stuff. I think they're doing good, though. I think Molly got married. The, her and Chris broke up, and she just had a kid. I think she's back in D.C. Uh, we touched bases briefly last year on Facebook. I think they're all doing good. Larry, Chris... Pat, his wife Erica died, but I haven't seen Pat lately. So, eh, kind of everybody's kind of drifted off. But uh, it was a tight little family for a while. We loved it. Mm-hmm. We really loved it. Yeah, it was fun. 
Labels like because obviously if you put out an EP or something like that, you quite happy now just self-releasing yourself. Do you... we, we're on Asia, man. You're, so, you're Asian, well, man. we've okay. got like our little subsidiary thing. Mike does the distro, so it's kind of our own little thing. All Star Records, yeah, yeah, yeah. We like it. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's, and Mike's been just like look how it was back in the day, really helpful, and he's on the band side. And you know, if any of his bands ever signed to a major label, he would be the first one to help them. You know, to never stand in their way. Is is that's how Larry Livermore was too. Yeah. Really good. Yep. So, um, but it's quite different than it was back in the 90s, you yeah. know, the labels and all that stuff. If you ask me, young kids, like, oh, what advice would you give? But it was a different different playing field back then. There weren't a million bands. It was kind of a newer thing. You couldn't make money at punk rock. And then all of a sudden, Green Day came, and they were making money. And then you got all these bands. Offspring got big. And even Nirvana sort of was, like, off in the punk side of the street. So... Uh, then it became like a thing where you could make money and that kind of destroyed. warp tour and the uh, you know it was just a little I don't know it changed after that it, it became about the money a little bit so uh, yeah bands like Good Charlotte that don't even write their songs and they started appearing and like fuck who are these guys they I, uh, you know lo- love them or hate Fallout Fallout Boy. They opened up for us, and they were around the Chicago scene. I mean, love them or hate them, but they were there. They put the duos in Alkaline Trio. They opened up for us. You know, those bands, they, MXPX, they all opened up for us. So then you see bands like Good Charlotte. They came out of nowhere. And right around then, the Warp Tour, Good Charlotte, who didn't even write this song. I was like, it's so... Time was Good Charlotte wouldn't have made it, but when they started making it, it was like, oh, the, the landscape had changed. Are you, are you surprised that Warp Tour's... Huh? Are you surprised that Warp Tour's now done? Like, did you feel as a festival? I didn't think about it too much. I no. didn't. We got invited a lot back in the day, but we never went. I never wanted to go. To me, it was everything that I was still a guy who grew up on Green Day, uh, on the DKs and Black Flag, and so I didn't want to do that. That it was like rock star shit. Yeah, like everybody was acting like rock stars, and they wanted Green M and M's backstage, and like um, we did the New Year's Eve show at San Diego Sports Arena. We did it twice. They used to do it every year. And so Face to Face was the headlining band one year. I mean, I wasn't really a fan, but whatever. So we were there, and uh, Sick of It All was there. A bunch of good bands. It was kind of fun. So I just went to go backstage to go say hi to them because I'd never met them. I had the bass player in that band. 
his brother would write to me and we became pen pals. This is before email and shit. And I couldn't get backstage. And he had to have a purple fucking wristband or something. And I go, face to face? Come on. I mean, really? You know, it was just like, because it, a lot of these people, I think, they get success at music and they want to act like babies. They want to act like fucking complete assholes. Oh, you don't have the purple. No, you're not fucking part of the group. You know, punk rock was about accepting everybody. Hmm. Now, all of a sudden, the warp Tour is like some rock star thing, like everybody acting like rock stars. Before, in the early days of punk, people would act, they were goofing on themselves. Circle jerks, dead Kennedys, black flag, flipper, Ramones. They were goofing on themselves. And then all of a sudden, these people weren't getting the joke anymore and they were becoming the caricatures. They were becoming the heavy metal singers in the punk world. It was, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just they were missing the joke all of a sudden. And it started selling and so it changed. But anyway, we never did Warp Tour because I was like, well, I'm not going to do that war- rock star shit. I remember when I grew up, you couldn't go to see uh, sh- shows like this. It was all like Boston Garden and shit. You could never talk to the fucking band. Fuck no. So when I would go to the Rat, CBGBs, we went to a few times. It was really exciting to see the band right there. And then you would go talk to, you know, Stiff Baders or someone like that. I didn't talk to him, but Cheetah or whoever. They were right there. You know, there was no separation. That was the cool thing with punk rock. Fuck, you know, you were just, you were right there. It was the whole immediacy of it. I loved it. So the Warped Tour was like, turning back into rock star stuff. And I was like, no, fuck that. I'm not going to go play that fucking bullshit. We're doing fine on our own anyway. I don't care. Same thing we would get asked to go out with social distortion. Who, our booking agent at the time was like, you got to go. Oh my God, they want you. They're big, blah, 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 blah. I go, can you really see us singing Ursula finally has tits to that fucking bunch of morons? I was like, I didn't like their crowd anyway. I like social D, but I didn't like their crowd. And I would feel like a whore going to open up for them. Because we were doing good on our own anyway. I'm like, I don't care. Fucking what, you know, I feel like a jerk doing this. Oh, hey, we're in the, you know, it's like fucking. I knew a lot of bands, I won't mention their names, that would walk through shit up to their necks for a mile to sell another CD to a jock on the Warp Tour. I've known a lot of people like that. You know, now they, they might not draw us, but you know what? I never had a fucking whore my ass going out to open up for Social D or or these bands. Not that I think we're better, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, we just won't appeal to that crowd. I don't care for that crowd. It's not what I want to be. I don't care. I don't want to attract that type of a crowd. So, you know. You mentioned CBGBs. It's recently come back in the news because some, I don't know, a convenience store or something's done the front of CBGBs. And you recorded an album there. I mean, was it, is it like looking back with Tinted glasses. Was it really that good of a venue? I never was no. there, so no, I mean, it was a dump. Yeah, yeah, just a shell. <laughs> yeah, it's a dump. Plus, what nobody fucking says is that they were ripoffs. They would not. They were legendary for not signing the contracts. So you'd get in there. One time we got in there, we sold the place out. And they gave us seven hundred bucks, and I went up to the fat guy at the fucking door, whatever his asshole fucking name was, and I go, dude, come on, what the fuck, man. And then all of a sudden, some other big mafioso type guy came up and said, behind him, stood behind him and said, hey, Joe, lay off or something like that. And I go, what, are you going to beat me up? Yeah. You know, and they're like, oh, CBGBs. That's true. 
We would have to get Todd from Maxwell's to book the shows because he, I don't know how he did it, but he would get our money for us or most of it. So I don't have any, you know, I was like, oh, come on. CBGB's was like about as exciting as this, you know, area here. Yeah. I mean, it was certainly, it's a clothing line. Yeah. It's not like a great club. That's the thing, though. It used to be like this legendary punk venue, but now it is just a T-shirt. Avril Lavigne's wearing the Ramon shirt. They're a clothing line. But anyway, it was exciting, and tons of great stuff happened there, and I was glad I went and glad we played. But the long and short of it was they they fucking, you know, weren't good to the bands. Yeah. So nobody ever says that. You know, I, I was like, oh, fuck. And I would talk around and like, oh, yeah, they won't sign the contract. And they said that to me. We're not. So we didn't sign the contract. We're supposed to get like two grand or something. You know, I was like, "Oh, you fucking dinks, man! Come on!" I mean, seriously, how unpunk can you be? Though Joey Ramone told me they did all that fucking thing with uh, Hilly, you know, closing. They made so much money off that closing. Oh, when it closed, it was horrible. We played. They kept all the money. They're like, oh, you can have three guest list members, but they have to pay 25 bucks a piece. It was like a complete ripoff. And then I think they paid each band 200 bucks. It was a complete and utter ripoff, the whole thing. Joey Ramone told me, he was behind the scenes. He goes, Hilly could have bought that fucking whole building a few times over. Back through the years, he could have bought it. He had the money and everything, but he was too cheap to do it. So Joey, that's what Joey told me, and he was there. I, I didn't know. Anyway, that was my experience. I just remember getting seven hundred dollars for selling the place out, and the guy fucking being a dick to us. I go, <laughs> gee, gee, thanks. You know, go rip off some other fucking big band like Blondie or something that has money. If they're, but so that was my experience with it, which kind of sucked. It was disheartening for me. Yeah. I mean, CBGB's fuck. I remember going there a few times and like, shit, man. CBGB's wow. You know, so. Well. Can you remember the first show that you played and went, holy shit, this is like, what the fuck? This is like, this is life now. Do you remember that first show? I remember we played with the Smugglers and MTX and uh, the uh, Trocadero in Philadelphia. We getting pretty, we gotten pretty big and it was, it sold out that place. It was pretty big, about 1400, 1500 Arch Street in Trocadero uh, in Philly, the Troc. And they played Smugglers and MTX and they were great. And, uh, we walked on stage, and the lights went down, and the whole place cheered crazy. And I turned around behind me and said, who the fuck are they cheering for? I know I, it probably sounds like bullshit. I was stunned that I did no idea they were cheering for us. I fucking turned around thinking Joey Ramone had walked in. I, I just didn't know. I was like, what the fuck? And then we're like, we, we, for a split second, we had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's God's honest truth. They say that's how the Beatles felt. They got off the plane. They, they had no idea at uh, at JFK. Uh, I think it was called I I Idlewild or something back then. And they they didn't know. And all these people were waiting for them when they got off, and they didn't know. They were stunned for a second. That's how I felt. I'm not kidding you. I had no idea. The lights went down. The whole place cheered as if one person. I couldn't believe. It. I'll never forget that. I couldn't believe they were cheering us. And was it a good show? You know, we wanted to. We sucked. Compared to now, we sucked. Because, you know, at that point, I remember going out there, I wanted to say, we're just kidding. Yeah. We're just kidding. We're just, you know, we just started in my basement. Now we yeah. like to drink beer. Now, you know, whatever. It's, it's, we're just kind of joking around everybody. 
There's a video on YouTube, and I think you've been asked about this, in 2015, where that's one new member of your band got into a fight with another member of the band. And reading the questions, everyone wanted to know what happened afterwards. So... It was in San Diego. Oh, oh with what, Dave, yeah. yeah. so what happened afterwards? Nothing. Nothing. No. He showed up, and so we were doing the shows, but um, he hadn't played with us in a while, and he had a 12-pack with him, and he, he was kind of drunk when he got there. We had played a show with him maybe two months before where he was kind of drunk, and he played fine. And so we practiced for about an hour and went over everything, and I said, I'll just say in... in at least an hour we went over everything and we go okay you guys are on so we're walking upstairs the other guys were on stage and I was walking up there and Dave hit me and he goes what the fuck and I go what do you mean he goes you're just singing you're not playing guitar I go dude we just practiced for an hour yes it's gonna be fine he goes what the fuck dude I go come on and he was so fucked up but anyway after that you know, whatever. I nothing happened. Yeah. He apologized the next day. He's like, "Oh, dude, I was. I'm sorry. I fucked up. Everybody will fuck up. Who cares? Like our friend got drunk. It had so happened. It happened at a big show in front of 800 people. But big deal. I don't care. Well, he's got like uh, a hundred thousand views. I mean, it's, it's I told crazy. him to come back and play and make up for that because that's the last time he ever played with the queers. But. You know, it was like whatever. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't care. Yeah, uh, we we didn't. Yeah, certainly, it was no big deal. Uh, as far as we were just like whatever. That's happened a million times. I don't care. People are like, oh, you acted so professional. Like, you know, you think this hasn't happened to us fucking fifty <laughs> times? I don't give a fuck. Someone gets drunk and fights. Who cares? <laughs> shows a year average what you do what is it about traveling what is it about touring that you enjoy you know touring is like a mentally retarded version of outward bound you know what outward bound is no outward bound is a thing in the u.s where they take kids and you go and they throw them they get like a couple of youth leaders usually they're miscreants like bad acting kids and they take them and Outward bound, you go out and like you climb mountains and do all this physical shit and go on hikes and all that stuff. And uh, and it's meant to like build character and stuff. And so touring is like a mentally retarded version of Outward Bound where you try to get back with about half the brain cells you're left with. But also there's a little bit of it like camping out like when you're in sixth grade behind your parents' house. You're like, okay, you guys can stay out there, but you got to get some sleep and you know, you're you're just at that age, and you know you get to go out there, and that's kind of what touring is. You like camping out again behind your parents' house, but your your parents aren't there, so you're in charge. So there's a little bit, you know, a lot of laughs. We like it, but it pays the bills too. So we don't go out looking to do that many shows, but we just get approached, and we've been lucky that we get asked to do shows. Yeah, new album. When's that going to happen? Well, we're going to try to do that this year. But we've been so busy, and then I got my studio, and I'm busy 
with that, matter of fact, I think a week from tonight, I get back next Tuesday, and then a week from tonight, I get a band coming in. So, it's, you know, you always, the thing with music is you always get something, it gives you something to get out of bed for in the morning. You always get something. I like it. Uh, you know, Ginger will call up or hog log and when are you getting here and what's going on with you and where's this guy going and what's going on? You got the cheese shirts and it's that energy and you're, you're, there's always something going on and I, I grow, t- I don't mind that at all. It's a lot of laughs. I, that's why I play music. I, I would like that. I like to travel around. I like to laugh. So it's been great. We've, we've been lucky. And you get to meet our heroes. Richie Ramon's going to be here. I'm waiting for him to show up. He should be here anytime if he isn't already. Ginger, do you want to go out and see if you can find Richie? Well, I was going to say to you, actually, when is your album with like Ben, CJ Ramon, and Richie Ramon? When's that going to happen? Are you going to do that? Is that not going to happen? I don't think so, no. It's, the problem is, we just saw CJ last week or two weeks ago in Italy, too. It, everybody's so fucking busy. Yeah. And I came to the point where I was pretty excited to do it, but I was... At the point, I, I said to him, I go, Hoglog, I think even even my superhuman powers are, aren't a match for this uphill struggle. I can't do it. And I threw in the towel. It's only, if you, we'd love to, but it's just, everybody is just too fucking busy, yeah. which is a good thing. Right. We're all friends. So, yeah, it's a good problem. Uh, but uh, I've been able to play on stage with those guys. And so that's, that's, I look at Ben Weasel right up there with the Ramones in my book or Kim from the Muffs. I don't care if they're household names or not. To me, they're rock stars. They're, they're you know, great, great musicians. So, uh, you know, that, that's cool. That's enough for me. I wish it would, but whatever. So let's end the podcast with a uh, your favorite Ramones story that, that you were there to witness. I tell, I've told this a few times, but probably one of the biggest... Ramon stories I got was when we sent a cassette tape to Joey Ramon way back in the mid 80s with Goodbye California, Love, 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 I'll Be True to You, and I Don't Want to Get Involved with You. Stuff off our Grow Up album before it came out. Sent him the four songs. So, about three, two to three months later, I bullshitted my way backstage at the University of New Hampshire at the Ramon show. And I went in there and I wasn't on the guest list, but I, I bullshitted my way back there. And I said, Joey, it's Joe from the Queers. And uh, I had said I was Richard Hell's cousin. <laughs> they let me in, too. And then I walked in there. Monty's like, he's not Richard Hell's cousin. And then I said, Joey, it's Joe from the Queers. And he's like, oh, Monty, you know, it's cool. So when I said I was from the Queers, Joe from the Queers, like, Joey, we had met, of course. And I had his address. But, uh, you know, he didn't know who I was to look at. But uh, anyway, he immediately turned around and he goes, I got to tell you, I love, 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 and Goodbye California off that cassette tape you sent me. They're great songs, and the vocal phrasing on California is great. And You know, it meant so much to me because he knew the song titles. I didn't say, what would you think of Goodbye California? No, none of that. He immediately turned around and said, I love, 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 and Goodbye California. I'd like to cover love, love, love. And we talked to a lawyer, but that never happened. But anyway, it meant so much to me that he knew those songs. Yeah. And it was the first time I was like, fuck, maybe I can play music for a living. But uh, then the other time I was talking to him on the phone years later, and then he asked me, he said, hey, would you work on songs with me for my solo album? And even though me and Ben Weasel finished one of his ideas, it was like, it never got, he didn't use it. But anyway, it was just nice to be asked. You know, I got invited to the prom finally, you know? (laughs) I'm like, damn, man. It really meant a lot to me. Yeah, I'm sure it So, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, 
That was one of the big. I'll never forget that, dude. Well, I think we should end it with that because I've taken over a lot of your time. Yeah, is the attack playing yet? They're on. They're oh, almost okay. done. Yeah. I gotta, you know, yeah, yeah, I've got to watch these guys play one. Go for it. At least. Well, thank you. Yeah, good to meet you. Cheers, man. This place sucks. 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 No, Joe was trying to fuck off at the end. Um, it was a great interview. Uh, like I said, they're Joe's views. I didn't want to censor them. I wanted you to decide and not me to try and withdraw what Joe was talking about. Anyway, so I really do thank Joe for giving up his time to talk to me. So let's wrap this up. Uh, buy a t-shirt, support the pod, tell your friends about the podcast, please, and spread the word. Go rate and review on iTunes, and oh, as always, don't be a cunt. Playing at the show is a band called 390, coming at you from Orange County. Right, I'm out of here. If you're going to a punk show and you see someone fall down, you pick them right back up again. If you're going to Slam Dunk Festival, I will see you there. Otherwise, I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.